Welcome to Dollars and Cents with a couple of gents Making money moves with the finest of gents Come and pull up a seat cause we're proud to present How to make some good decisions when you're on the fence Rob and Steve gonna tell you how to do it the best Hello and welcome to another episode of Dollars and Cents with a couple of gents I'm Stephen Ellis I'm Robert Wolfson And Rob, as you know, I have been experimenting with different radio voices recently You have, give us a sample No <laughs> <laughs> The experiment didn't go well no, it's a little embarrassing. It's like singing in public. You know, I'll do it in private, but I'm not doing it in public. In the shower, in your car? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Introducing songs on the radio in my new radio voice. Well, you have a face for TV, so it's a good thing you don't need to do radio. No voice for radio. No voice for radio. Yeah. It's got to be. It's, I'm, I got to stick with this, I guess. That's okay. Here's, and podcasting. Yeah. Well, isn't this radio in a way? In a way. It's new radio. It's a true story. I was actually listening to another podcast uh, this week, and he was talking about that exact phenomenon, how they don't listen to radio in the car. He just listens to podcasts yeah. while he's driving around. You just Information It's kind of working while you're moving and just getting educated and just way more stimulating than just listening to radio. Yeah, and as you know, Rob, I spend a lot of time driving uh, on my commute and otherwise, and I listen to podcasts, audio books. Very rarely do I listen to the radio. Yeah, this actually the funny part of the story was that he has young kids and they're so used to streaming music that it wasn't working for whatever reason, just bad cell service where they were. So they were just listening to the radio and then the kids started yelling at the thing for Alexa to play a song because they didn't understand that it just doesn't happen. You have to do that. So it was actually a really funny story, just how radio has changed so much. How times have changed, yeah. Exactly. We've told our kids stories, you know, the old dinosaurs uh, that we are. We've told our kids stories about listening to the top six at six That's and the right. top ten at ten. That's right. And you used to wait until six o'clock and make For sure the radio was For your favorite songs on. and to yeah. your favorite songs. And so just yeah. on demand at any moment in time. For the hits of the time, yeah. Doesn't that make you feel old, Rob? A little bit. It does. makes me feel old, yeah. The top six at six and the top ten at ten. And I remember the top ten at ten. It was a stretch to even stay up that late. That's right. Rob, before we get into today's topic, we have to talk about the fact that summer has flown by. It's almost done. Well, we still have a month to go technically. Oh, you're way more positive about it than me. I'm like, middle of August, it's over. But it's been very consistent. This is the hottest and most consistent weather, temperature-wise, dry, uh, that I remember. And I'm a born and raised Calgarian. But the good thing about the hot and dry, no mosquitoes. Very, I know, very, very few. few. mosquitoes. Yeah. That's, that's been pleasant. Yeah. And the weather has been great. Yeah. Except for obviously the hot and dry has led to the, the fire situation, which is still raging out of control. Yeah. Um, which is unfortunate for people in those areas. And so obviously our thoughts go out to all the affected people. Absolutely. The uh, What I was going to say, Rob, being a, a skier, someone that spends a lot of time on the ski hills, we did have a very dry winter. So it, it's just really carrying forward, I think. And obviously that's contributed to the wildfire situation as well. But you just got to wonder, you know, I always say these things always even themselves out. So what is our winter going to look right, like? Right. Cold and snowy, probably. But to be honest, and I think most Canadians agree with this, we kind of expect it to be cold in winter. That's okay. But just nice in the summer. We've Fair. got that. So Fair. you just don't want it to be cold in the winter, then also have a bad summer. Yeah. Anyway, Rob, let's stop talking about winter. Right. Let's get on, get on with the topic of the day today. Yeah, that's a great point, Steve. So let's carry on here. So we talk a lot to our clients and we have spoken in lots of previous episodes about the importance of sticking to your plan. 
managing through volatility, having a plan first and foremost and sticking to it. So today, Steve, we're going to bring a member of our Total Wealth Planning team to the podcast. Her name is Amanda Nitschke. She's a valued resource for our clients. And she's a total wealth planner on her team. And really, we're going to bring her on just to talk about the planning process, what's involved, why it's important, kind of the pitfalls and and uh, strengths and weaknesses in a client's total financial solution that they find. So she's an amazing resource for our clients. And we're glad that she can take time to come and talk about that process today on the podcast. So without further ado, Amanda, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Oh, hi. Thanks, Rob and Steve. I appreciate being here. You're an honorary gent. How's that feel? Oh, I, I couldn't ask for anything more. I know. It's always been your dream. <laughs> there you go. It's, you're not alone. Most, it's most people's dream to be honorary gents on our podcast. Oh, is it? Wow. Yeah. I mean, this feels like a high bar to meet, but. <laughs> so just get the pick out. You might have to sign some autographs later on. Yeah. The Sharpie. No problem. Yeah. People yeah. will right. start recognizing your voice. Yeah, I like a medium tip pen. So there you go. Perfect. <laughs> so Amanda, we're gonna we're gonna get right into it. We're gonna start at the top though. So so I guess the first question is just who needs a financial plan? Well, I would recommend everybody to have a financial plan. Truly when it does come to um, you know, your financial picture, your financial picture is truly tied to everything that is you know, goes on in your life. Um, having a financial plan kind of gives you a measurable goal to work toward. Oftentimes, it's it's a snapshot in time, but when you have that snapshot and a written plan, you're able to kind of go back and track your progress. It can kind of help you reduce some doubt and uncertainty you may have about decisions that may be coming up, and you can make adjustments to help overcome some obstacles that may come down the road. So I would say it's a very valuable tool for everybody to do. Now, how often do you have to have a financial plan completed? Like, is it something that once you do it, it's just done or do you need to revisit it? Like what's the typical time horizon and process for uh, how often to do a financial plan? Yeah, I would recommend that everybody look at doing a financial plan every three to five years. That can often help uh, overcome, again, any of the decisions that you may have coming up. And it's great to just see a refresh of the values. Uh, oftentimes things can happen in, in three to five years, including uh, your kids, you know, your children may be getting older. They may be going to university. Maybe there's a change in your income stream. Sometimes expenses can go up and go down depending on whether you've retired. So there are many reasons why you should continue to update your financial plan. Plus, it also just looks at continuity in looking at your financial picture. Um, you, you often will have different types of people, but some of them, some people will often choose to be very granular and in the details and some will kind of not want to face it. So I think it's just a good tool for everybody to have and to revisit. I would say every three to five years, five being the worst case scenario. So Amanda, you mentioned people not wanting to face it. So let's dive into that a little bit. What's involved in the process in terms of getting started? Because I think a lot of times people just have trouble getting started and getting the information okay. together. So maybe you can talk a little bit about what's involved in, in getting a financial plan started. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when it does come to a financial plan, oftentimes I will ask for 
you know, essentially your whole financial picture. So generally I'm looking for a summation of income, expenses, assets, and liabilities. And I will say that oftentimes it comes to when it comes to expenses, expenses can be hard to face sometimes, um, especially when we're in times of rising inflation and maybe, you know, you're on a fixed income that isn't, you know, keeping up the pace of that. So, yeah, we do ask for it can seem cumbersome from the beginning, but oftentimes if we're able to get as much information as we can, the plan will just be that much more valuable. So what I am looking for when looking at a financial plan is just getting an idea of, again, the financial pieces of your life. So uh, again, to go back to the income and expenses, assets and liabilities, but then we also do talk about uh, your life and what is involved in your life. Do you have children? Do you want them to go to university? When do you see retirement happening? Um, are you caring for any of your parents? Are you caring for children? Um, so there's a lot that goes on in your life that we do try to layer into the financial plan so that we can, you know, help reduce doubt and uncertainties when it does come to pieces that may be coming up in the future. Right. So if I'm sitting on the other side of the table from you and I say, you know, that that sounds really daunting to me to kind of go through my financial mm -hmm. life. What's the response if that's a big hesitation for me and how do you help me overcome that? Yeah. If if I find that I'm working with a client that that may have some trepidation among around the work that's involved. Generally, it just means that we'll, what we'll do is we'll have an introductory meeting. And oftentimes it does help if if you are willing for me to just talk you through some of the things. So rather than you compiling all the data and sending it to me, um, because that can be cumbersome and it can be hard to do for some, it's easier if we just talk through it. And then what, oftentimes what will come of it is what we'll call like an action items list or a to-do list that the client can then take. Um, and again, oftentimes it does look at expenses are difficult for, for many clients. Um, and, you know, we'll kind of want to get an idea of, you know, what are the, what are your fixed expenses? And then what are some of your discretionary expenses? So um, I think if, if, uh, if you, if the client is willing to, to talk through it with me, we can often get somewhere. And of course it can always be a first pass as well. We can look at the financial plan to be a first pass and then the client will know what to expect, you know, two, three, four, five years later, when we go to update the plan, they'll know what I'm looking for and they'll have an idea of what they can expect and the value that they can expect from the financial plan. Of course, we're trying to give an accurate representation of the future. But of course, it is just projections based off of numbers today looking forward. And there's lots of assumptions. I'm assuming, though, you're trying to be a bit more conservative with those assumptions. And then do you do any other, you know, scenarios just in case if other, you know, events happen that you to that you're not really planning for today? Absolutely. So the idea with a financial plan is we want the plan to be as conservative as possible. So we, of course, taking a 
financial plan out. So we're looking at a forecast and forecasting is often difficult for everybody to do, whether it's a corporation, whether it's personal. So we try to make it as conservative as possible. So using conservative figures. Uh, and so oftentimes what that means is, for example, let's say if you're a salaried employee, we'll take your salary because we know that's fixed income, but we may not include your bonus because it's hard to know if that if it's a discretionary item. Other things that we do look at is we have to attach assumptions to these numbers. So we'll take your your financial picture as of today. But we have to attach financial assumptions to those numbers. And so those financial assumptions will look as as if life expectancy. So we'll put in a life expectancy that seems reasonable to to your longevity within your family. We'll also look at inflation. And of course, inflation is a hot topic as of right now. But we'll look at an inflation an inflation target that can take you out from now through the rest of your, you know, your remaining years. In addition to that, we, we always use a very conservative rate of return on any uh, market securities and assets that, that a client will have. So uh, we try to set, we want to set you up for success. So what that means is we'll also run different scenarios. And so, essentially we look at a financial plan as being a baseline plan. So taking everything that you have and, and, and starting with that. But then what we can do is we can look at some other scenarios and those scenarios can look at, you know, life expectancies being different. They can look at um, what it might mean if you have to move into a retirement home, for example. Um, and we also will oftentimes run what we call a sensitivity analysis. So, and what that means is we'll look at essentially your current spending, but what could you spend if you had to spend more? So in addition to what you're currently spending, let's look at if we had to add a buffer into it and essentially look at it like a goalpost, what would that look like? And I will say that truly looking at that sensitivity analysis is one of the most valuable parts of the financial plan because I think it will it it will oftentimes give clients peace of mind in terms of um, reducing again doubt and and security about future things that that can come up so Amanda, just to continue with the sensitivity analysis, so how is that derived i I mean the things that you're uh, if you're using life expectancy, mm-hmm. for example, are you looking at the client's situation or are they bringing that to you and saying, you know, I'm a little concerned that I may live longer or not live as long? How, how do you sort of come to the uh, the areas of that sensitivity analysis that, that are required in each particular case? Yeah, so... So to, yeah, to continue on with the life expectancy piece, oftentimes clients will have an idea just through intergenerational, um, you know, parents, like what their parents were like and what their grandparents were like, and maybe some health scares that have happened uh, throughout family members' lifetimes. So generally, they will come to me and say, well, you know what, I, I don't expect to live to age 95 or age 100, whatever the case is. And so let's look at a more conservative approach or yeah, unconservative approach and looking at, I'm only probably going to live to age 85. So we will look at that. And really what it does is it just essentially says that you'll have five to 10 years less spending, for example. And so we, oftentimes it is 
uncovering through conversation with the clients about um, their health and the way that they see the future going. And oftentimes that can be a very hard thing for um, clients to, to talk about. So I would say that that would generally come up in, in uh, maybe a financial plan update that we would do. So as much as everyone's situation is different, but what are some of the common pitfalls or, or um, shortcomings that or strengths, strengths or weaknesses that you uncover regularly when delivering plans for different clients in different situations? Yeah, I would say the two things that come up the most with with clients that I have seen is uh, expenses. Again, to go back to the expenses piece, that, that can be a very daunting task for clients. It can also be a very eye-opening task for clients to look at. So facing, looking and facing expenses is a can sometimes be a common issue that we work we work with the client towards. Another another thing that does come up often is um, looking at the the bigger holistic picture of a financial plan and um, some risks that are associated with it. So oftentimes people will not choose to look at or not will do not like to look at what it will look like in the future. So potentially having what does a health scare mean for your financial picture does it mean that you will be looking at losing income or does it look mean that it looks like you will have to sell your home to move into a different into let's say a more a care facility for example so i would i would say the two common issues that do come up the most are generally facing facing ex- looking and facing at expenses and then also looking at um the health part of it and you know also do you have uh, you know estate documents in place for when when you do pass away um you know all the hard work that you have put into your life and into your financial portfolio what does that look like for the next generation if there is a next generation and you know what are the bigger what is the bigger picture with um your your financial picture so I'm going to go back to a couple of things you said actually at the beginning. So hopefully I'm not going back too far here, but you mentioned a measurable goal and a written plan. And, mm-hmm. you know, we often talk about the benefit of having a written plan because again, that helps with the measurable side of it. So the two work hand in hand. What's your take on someone that might say, well, I've got a plan. It's all up here, sort of pointing, mm-hmm. pointing to their head in terms of convincing them that that written plan is uh, extremely important for them. Yeah, I think what the writ the written plan and and I completely understand uh there are there are many clients and that that do have it all up here in in their head but the truth is is because there's a lot of external variables that that can happen in in one's lifetime you know there's there's a lot that you can control of course but then there's you know there's the external sources such as inflation um and even looking at markets what the markets look like so i think having a written financial plan is a really good baseline and so then when you do have to go back let's say you have it as a measurable goal and you bring it out let's say 2 years later to take a look at where you're at oftentimes if you take a look at the original baseline number and to where you are now if there's any variances you can often speak to it uh for things that may have been 
within your control, but then it also looks at what may have been out of your control. So I think it's very valuable to just look at those very, like those variances that can happen and the variables that went into making it happen. And then I think oftentimes you can get the buy-in, for example, from a client as to why it is so important to have it as a written, as a written goal. Right. Yeah, I think, uh, again, we, we are huge advocates of, of having it written down. And I think oftentimes we, as human beings, we forget, right? We forget what we've said. And if it's three to five years later, life has changed a lot. And, and what we may not realize is that our plans have changed in our head. And what we might think we felt five years ago, uh, we actually didn't, right? It's just evolved over time and our, our plans have sort of changed. And so it allows us then to go back and revisit what we actually, the data that we actually put in place five years ago or three years ago and revise it accordingly. So just to put a stamp on that from Rob and myself as well, being advocates of the written plan. So Amanda, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a question and I think it's probably one of the more difficult questions to answer. Hopefully not, but, um, what happens if a plan doesn't work, quote unquote, work for somebody? So they bring you all the data, they've got an idea in terms of what their life is going to look like as a result. So going to retire at a certain age with a certain amount of income and a plan is run and it doesn't meet that expectation. What does that look like? How is that dealt with just in general or maybe some specific examples? Yeah, so oftentimes if if we do run into that scenario, it generally has to look at 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 cash and and cash spent for example. So um you will oftentimes run into cash flow deficits especially when carrying a plan out 50 years for example. Let's say you're younger, you let's say you're in your 40s and you want to retire at 55. But there's a long life to be lived from 55 to, let's say, age 95. Um, so sometimes, you know, you will result in cash flow deficits. And again, this is where it does go back to the spending is often the hardest piece for a client to nail down. Um, because we want to look at, let's say, a 13, 14 month trend of what spending looks like. But it's very hard to know what it's going to look like in the future. Many clients think that spending will go down in the future just due to not paying for parking, for example, and going to work and things like that. But then oftentimes clients will also say their spending will go up quite a bit because they will be doing more vacations and that type of thing. So I would say that when we do run into a scenario like that, we will start with the spending and making sure that it seems to be very accurate to their life now, but also to their goals in the future. And of course, if there is a cash flow deficit, there's there are tools that are in place that we can put into place to help mitigate that. Um, oftentimes they do mean a little bit of leverage, but we can look at scenarios where it does look at having some of the cash available so that a client can meet their goals. And it just means that it will just likely come with a lending, a lending capability attached to it. Um, but I would say that really it just, it, uh, from my perspective and me personally, I think it just, you take the approach of empathy and and just work with the client into what 
what some of the factors are that have gone into the plan and all the work that they have done. And then what does that look like? And if it does mean that there um, is a shortfall, for example, what can we do to look at it from here? And oftentimes the client does know. Uh, and so we just talk through that a little bit. And a lot of it is really just a holistic conversation that the client can have in a safe space with somebody. Right. I guess it's better to find out that that deficit exists at 45 rather than at 54 when you're looking at actually retiring and have maybe started to to make your own plans for that that eventuality. That's right. Absolutely. And, and, and from there, let's say we're looking at somebody who may be 55 and wanting to retire at 60. We will look at, at you know, making sure that saving strategies are something that are, are incorporated into a plan at that point if they want to be looking at saving some more money. And that does often mean reducing the spending. Right. So, yeah. Well, thanks, Amanda. That's a lot of information. Uh, very valued for sure. And as uh, Steve mentioned, we definitely recommend that all clients uh, speak to us about hopefully talking to you about having a plan done. It's a great start and something that can be reviewed all the time. So we just want to say thanks for taking time out of your day to come and talk to us about the importance of having a financial plan. Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate you having me on. And uh, I hope that your clients will take some value from the conversation and uh, give some thought to doing a financial plan. Great. Thanks again. You're welcome. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Well, Steve, that was great. Uh, Very informative. Yeah, Rob, probably long overdue bring Amanda on, right? We've talked a bit about financial planning and, well, quite a bit about financial planning, in fact. So uh, good to have Amanda on, who's a great resource for us in that area. Yes, absolutely. And I think the big takeaway for me is that, and, and I don't think Amanda said this specifically, but it's not going to be perfect, right? I don't think if you're coming in expecting your financial plan is going to be perfect and it's going to be a perfect process, then you'll be disappointed. But understanding that it starts to put that picture in place, and she sort of mentioned, right, it can just kind of be a, you know, a, an initial run through that takes on more meaning and and uh, is more effective at that first review point. I think that's important to take away as well, that it's just not going to be a perfect process and it it certainly helps start the process of getting a plan in place. Yeah, and you said it, even an imperfect plan is better than no plan because you don't want to get to a point in time where you're thinking about retiring or some major purchase or whatnot and realize that maybe you're not quite ready for that yet. So even having an imperfect plan is better than no plan whatsoever. Right, that's right. So Rob, let's plan to wrap this up. (laughs) I like what you did there. I know. So with that, I'm Stephen Ellis. I am Robert Wolfson. And we are... A couple of gents. And we'll talk to you again soon.